You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Episode 59, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun and informative format where you can learn about what physicians face through expert analysis. And today's expert is Dr. Nikila Schroeder. Dr. Schroeder was born and raised in Wisconsin, attended college at MIT, where she earned her bachelor's and master's in engineering in both electrical and computer science engineering, concentrating in biomedical engineering and music. She then went to medical school at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine, got married, moved to Charlottesville, Virginia, completed a pediatric residency, and fellowship program in allergy immunology at the University of Virginia. As we'll discuss in the show, she then chose a private practice to work at for a number of years until she decided to strike it out on her own to practice her unique form of allergy immunology. She created a direct care clinic called Allogenuity, which is based in Charlotte, North Carolina. There she has a direct care clinic, which focuses on transparent pricing, meaning no third-party payers, and a deep connection with her patients, where she'll spend sometimes up to two hours getting to know her patients and their allergy concerns. Because of the uniqueness of the type of therapy that she provides, she has patients who come from all over, spanning 20 states and three countries. Links to her clinic, her social media presence, and other episodes that are related to this episode can all be found at theparadox.com slash 059. Of course, you can go to theparadox.com and sign up for email alerts so you know when new episodes come out and any interesting news about the show or things that I think will be relevant to your life. If you're not yet a subscriber to the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for sharing the show. It continues to grow, and I appreciate all the sharing and recommendations you make to colleagues and friends. And I will continue to strive to bring interesting topics, interesting people, interesting discussions to your podcast player on a weekly basis. I do apologize that I've been a little off my weekly show frequency, mainly because I'm still trying to help my wife launch her own podcast, which will deal with an entirely different subject than what I discuss here. But I think it's perhaps even more important than what I'm dealing with at this point. And when it comes to launch date, I'll make sure that I let everyone know. But without further ado, Dr. Nikila Schroeder, story of her successful non-third-party payer allergy practice. Enjoy. Welcome. I'm here with my new friend, Dr. Nikila Schroeder of Allergenuity Health in North Carolina. And uh, we're going to talk today about her practice in North Carolina and what she's doing. So, Dr. Schroeder, so much, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Can you give us a little backstory? I, I think... Uh, what I often get questioned when I'm, you know, in the OR, people are like, how do you come up with guests? How do you find people? And I, I was telling them it's sort of like one of those things where you're, you're not always necessarily looking for someone, uh, but serendipity, you know, you come across, if you, if you go to the right places, you might find people uh, or interesting stories. And yours is a situation where I was, I have a partner who just joined my group. His wife's an allergist, you're an allergist, and she's looking for a job. And so I was, I kind of went to my strange places that I, <laughs> that I, Facebook and other places like, Hey, if you know any ways of starting your own practice, if you had to, is anyone out there really doing this sort of thing? And that's sort of how we <laughs> stumbled yeah. into each other. Yeah. So you are, you are in practice by yourself yeah. and you're not part of an employed system. So why, I know you were initially, so why don't you tell your story about where, how you started practice? Cause I know you, you're a board certified pediatrician, mm-hmm. then you went to, uh, as an allergist. Mm-hmm. And then you went into sort of employment, so and then you left. So kind of go through that sort of initial move. Sure, um, I'd be happy to. So, I um, yes, I did um, just like you know all other physicians, sort of the traditional track. Um, uh, uh, after college, um, went to med school, and um, then 
decided, tried to decide what I wanted to do uh, in terms of specialty afterwards. And initially, I was actually planning to be a cardiothoracic surgeon. Um, so um, you might come across uh, some publications that I did out there in that um, from a long time ago because I was, I was focused on that. I had, all my mentors were in that. Um, I had seen a heart transplant. I had gotten, um, I was fortunate enough to shadow a heart transplant when I was in high school. And oh I just thought it was the coolest thing to be able to help someone like that. Um, I already knew I wanted to be a doctor. Um, but when I, when I saw that, um, and I actually was holding someone's heart in my hand when I was, I think 15, um, and looking <laughs> down at a person who, you know, at that moment, um, did not have a heart in their body. Um, and there was one in a box that we were about to put in and there was one that had just been removed and the person was alive and and I got to you know after it was all done I got to speak with him you know the next week and I just it just blew my mind and I thought hey if I can do this with my life you know that would be just a really great thing to be able to to do and to offer yeah. people so so I that was kind of my my mindset at first was um I like I'm a hands-on person. I like to use my hands. Um, I turned out to be pretty good at procedures um, and surgical things. So it was all kind of fitting together that I would go that route first. And um, um, long story short, uh, you know, kind of uh, directed myself towards that direction um, and then realized that other pieces of the puzzle to being a cardiothoracic surgeon maybe weren't the best fit for, for me in the long run um, mm -hmm. and the sort of family life I wanted and being a, a woman physician. Um, unfortunately, there's different um, factors that, that we still wind up having to take into account with that. And, um, and it just turned out that probably in the long run, I wouldn't, that wouldn't be a good fit for me, even though I think I would have been good at doing the surgery. <laughs> so, sure, yeah, um, right. And so then I started thinking, what else was I, what were my other passions? Um, what else had I liked in med school? And um, I, I'm a problem solver. I like critical thinking and I like figuring things out. And um, so the immune system had always eluded me because it's super complex. And I thought, you know, only crazy people are going to anything with immunology. I was like, I'm not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole. So initially I was, I was kind of trying to stay away from that. Um, and, uh, and I also loved children. Um, so um, even though I was fascinated with immunology, but thought, you know, I should stay away from that <laughs> um, for my own sanity. Um, uh, you know, I, I had, I knew I didn't have to pick a specialty yet. I just had to pick my first course. Was it going to be adults? Was it going to be children? Was it going to be family practice sort of thing? And, um, and I decided that I wanted to help um, take care of children. And so I went into pediatrics and um, did my residency at UVA um, in Charlottesville, Virginia and, uh, loved taking care of children. Um, it, it's just, um, has always been a passion of mine. Although I did miss taking care of adults. Um, I had never not liked it. So, uh, um, you know, I, I missed a little bit of that. Um, and so when it came time to figure out what to do after that, I revisited things and found myself going down two routes. One was, um, sort of back into cardiology. Um, I thought maybe I'd do pediatric cardiology and then maybe mm -hmm. subspecialize from there into procedural things again and realized I was just essentially going back the same way that um, I had decided. Right, it's not much different. <laughs> yeah, no. so maybe I have to remember why I chose to not do this before. And then um, went back to what else fascinates me and, and again came to the immune system and this time, you know, I still thought, oh, that's crazy. I shouldn't do it. <laughs> but, um, but I really, I had seen, I had sort of gravitated to allergy care um, and solving those immune problems or trying to um, during my residency anyway. And um, my colleagues started sending me their tough um, allergy cases. And uh, I just sort of had a natural fit with that or a natural passion, um, I guess, that that came out and um, so decided to uh, bite the bullet and be one of those physicians that deals with the immune system every day. Um, so went into fellowship, stayed at UVA. And um, after that, um, 
when, you know, had the, the branch point that all of us have where, what do we do next? Yeah. So, um, I, to be honest, had already, um, seen some of the, the things I knew I would struggle with in the healthcare system, um, being employed in kind of the traditional system for a long time. So I already felt rushed with my patients, um, which I didn't like. That was, that was not what I got into healthcare for. Um, I wanted to get to know people um, in order to mm-hmm. figure out how to help them. And I felt like a lot of times I wasn't given that the time that I wanted or the time that I felt I needed with a patient. Um, I, I felt like sometimes the critical thinking aspect was stifled. Um, you know, when I could get to know a patient, I would, I would try to understand their goals, their fears and concerns and anxieties, um, you know, their lifestyle, um, and their, what's important to them. Um, and, um, and of course their, their medical conditions and trying to figure out how to help. And sometimes the, the way to help them was quite outside the box thinking. Um, and oftentimes I found myself hitting a wall where even though I had come up with a great plan that, that would have really helped the patient, um, either the insurance company wouldn't let me, um, and wanted me to go through a bunch of other steps I knew wouldn't work (laughs) first, Mm -hmm. um, or, um, you know, something within my clinic wouldn't, wouldn't let me, or didn't follow the practice parameters exactly. And, um, and people worried about liability, you know, and all these things. And it was really, it, you know, it just broke my heart as a physician because I felt like, well, what am I doing here? You know, uh, if I can't use my brain and, and, and my heart to help people, then, um, what am I doing? What, you know, couldn't you just have a computer system? Um, I used to, <laughs> I used to be a computer programmer before I did engineering for undergrad and computer science. Yeah. So I was like, you know, if all I'm supposed to do is regurgitate, um, why don't I just use my other hat and program something that just <laughs> diagnoses people and spits out, you know, the current practice parameters and hooks into someone's insurance formulary and uses whatever their first line is, um, regardless of, you know, uh, of what might actually be a good fit for that patient. Um, because if that's all I'm supposed to do, then, then you know, why am I here? Um, so it was really, I was already frustrated kind of as a young physician. Um, and, uh, decided to start my journey of doing something a little different, um, right out the gate there. So I, uh-huh. um, interviewed at hospitals and I interviewed at private practices. And, um, one thing that was different, um, about what I wanted to pursue was I wanted to, to learn about, a um, allergy procedure or treatment that was not part of our mainstream training in the U S so every you I'm sure you have heard of allergy shots. Everybody's heard of allergy shots. Sure. So my my daughter and my wife got them. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So pretty common um treatment yeah. for allergies if you if you either need more than medicine or um or avoiding th- you know, if you can't avoid your triggers or you need more than medications, or you're you know, you just are looking to try to actually ch- change your underlying allergies to some things, then you um we usually recommend some form of immunotherapy. And, and mm-hmm. um, allergy shots is the is the thing that every allergy clinic is set up for, um, uh, and has been going on in the U.S. for decades and decades and decades. So I learned that in my training, um, but and this could be a whole other podcast. But um, I I I wasn't completely thrilled with it. I thought it was very useful, but I thought you know, hey, we miss a lot of groups of of people um, that could really use this type of help because of the risks of this procedure and because of the time constraints. So, for example, we can't use it for young children, um, and um, we some people it's just you know coming in weekly um, is too much. Uh, getting injections is painful, um, yep. and um, and on and on and on. And so um, there are lots of. I, I was looking for a better way. I thought there's you know what if there's a better way that people know of already, or what if I could create a better way? Um, and long story short, I um, learned about the different parts of the body and how the immune system works there. And I thought that the mouth seemed like a good route to pursue um, for building tolerance. And so um, um, it's sort of the gateway 
to our body, to the inside of our body, right? Um, we we sure. breathe through our mouth, we eat um, things that we need for nourishment, and we drink water. Um, and those immune cells are actually designed to try to promote tolerance. And so um, that brought me to sublingual immunotherapy, which maybe we'll talk about more. Um, and uh, and that brought me to my the next step in my career because I wanted to find a place that did that. And there are not a lot of places in the U.S. that do that or do that well. And um, so um, I found a place in Wisconsin that had been doing it for 50 years, um, 40 years at that point. And, um, and thankfully was able to, to get a position there and learned this treatment there and, um, and found it to be phenomenal. So, um, the, the now this was right after I'm sorry oh, this is right after residency or had or were you in a right after traditional yep I went into right after, so you finished your fellowship yep and then okay yep. gotcha did residency then did um, traditional fellowship for allergy and immunology mm -hmm. um, and then this was my first position afterwards so I had a position at a children's hospital that um, all my mentors wanted you know they're like that's right right <laughs> what are you doing they're yep. like go there do that you know. Um, and um, had a private practice, kind of traditional private practice offer, um, and uh, and then had this offer at this very unique clinic, um, private practice clinic, that did this very different type of treatment. And all my mentors told me, you know, were highly advising me against it. Um, I had, uh, you know, literally zero academic support for, for that decision. Um, they didn't think it was a good Why is that? Yeah, they... Um, so I asked that too. <laughs> um, <laughs> they they didn't think it was. They basically thought that if I went that outside of the box at that time, um, they thought it would ruin the the good academic reputation that I had built. Um, that it might be tough if I if I went there and decided I didn't like the treatment or that it didn't help people the way I was hoping it would, and then tried to get back into the you know the more classic allergy system mm -hmm. that maybe I wouldn't be as well accepted. Um, and so I think they, I mean, I think they were well-meaning in that they were looking, they were doing their best to try to look out for me from their perspective of, Hey, we think you're, you know, we've enjoyed working with you. We think you're a good allergist. Um, you know, why rock the boat and, and go do something that might um, make other people not see you that way because you've, stepped out and, and done something that some other people might consider, you know, like witch doctory or something. Quackery, you know? right? I mean, they worry about quackery. Yeah. Actually, my last interview was with the physician who was integrative medicine where you're sort of in, putting uh, into practice things that are outside the traditional yeah. uh, medicine. Uh, so I guess you would say, for those who are not aware, not familiar with the immunotherapy, essentially what you're doing is you're desensitizing people to things, right? So you're giving someone for allergy shots, you're giving a small sample of whatever it is that they might be allergic to. Mm -hmm. And they're getting, and they're getting a, a shot basically of, you know, grass pollen, tree pollen, whatever. Yeah. Um, not actually the full pollen, but anyway, it's, a, <laughs> yeah. and that it, it builds up and it, it basically desensitizes you. So you have less of a reaction to it when you're experienced out in the environment. And and what you were looking to do was sublingual, mm -hmm. which is under the tongue. And so it's basically, you know, an oral therapy. And it's the same concept, except that I suppose the things that you more like to put in your mouth for like foods and things. But but it, your immune system is everywhere within your body. It's not just in your skin. It's in your gut. And so anywhere that has you know, immune responses, you can obviously get a... Uh, you can use this desensitization process. And the traditional part of medicine in the United States was just using allergy shots. Mm -hmm. And so anything outside that, these academics were essentially seeing as well. It's not maybe proven as well. There's not as much academic literature in this. It's not established. It's not the, the usual route of, of curing allergies or or treating them. Right. And so they do see it. They view it as quackery. And so that's that was kind of the hang-up. Yeah, yeah. That pretty it was exactly. Good summary? It was... Um... It wasn't, it was, it was not the usual thing, you know, um, it's yeah. not our practice parameters. Um, and, and that always, I guess, has, has bothered me, um, from, from the get go again, as, as, um, 
um, a person who likes to think through problems. Um, I, you know, I, I appreciate practice parameters. I understand them. I understand why they're there. Um, you know, of course, we all need to learn the building blocks and, and uh, to be able to help patients as best as we can. Um, but after that, once you've learned the building blocks, you know, I always thought that um, one of the beautiful parts of, of being a physician um, or scientist is that then you get to think through things and, and see if you can do things better. And, um, or for a particular patient, if there's a way, you know, if you need to change something for, for one person versus what you do for, you know, the other 10 people, because that one person has a different um, situation, different health issue, or a different um, concern, or a different um, degree of risk with something. And, um, and so what was tough for me is when, um, when everything outside the box, you know, is kind of blown off as has no potential, um, rather than looking at everything with an open mind first and saying, let's, you know, okay, let's dig in and see if there's potential. Cause obviously there's some stuff out there. There's a bunch of people out there doing a bunch of crazy things. Um, unfortunately, sure, yeah. you know, and it's really tough. And I, I, you know, as a patient, um, that's hard, I think to figure out what to pursue. You have a lot of people, some qualified, some not, um, telling you a bunch of things. It's hard to figure out who they are, what their background mm -hmm. is, um, and what the validity of what they're telling you is. And so it, it gets really tricky. And, um, and, but I don't think that that means that everything that's not the typical practice parameters or the typical, um, you know, whatever is FDA approved. Um, I don't think that those are the only good things. I think there are a lot of really good things that, you know, maybe aren't FDA approved for that purpose, but um, we, you know, that's not, that's a whole other topic too. That's, that's not what the FDA approval process is for. Um, right. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. And then there's, um, you know, insurance companies will cover certain things and not other things. And they are, you know, for the most part, they're, they don't want to cover things <laughs> and, um, right. and they try, you know, they cover some of the things that are FDA approved or they source what they cover from that. And it's a lot easier to say, Oh, that's not FDA approved. So we won't cover it. Um, which, which then can potentially, you know, put the mindset of, Oh, and it's not a good thing because it's not covered, but that's not true either necessarily. I mean, ha you know, a large percentage of stuff we do with children is technically not FDA approved for that thing because the study wasn't done in that age group. Um, Absolutely. You know, and so there's a lot of off-label use of things um, all throughout medicine, some that for whatever reason is is accepted or is just kind of glossed over that people just miss. I don't think a lot of people even realize it's off-label, but then other things um, that are off-label that suddenly people think, oh, you know, <laughs> you're going to ruin your reputation if you, if you do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so that was kind of my, my story of, um, at least in the traditional part of, of, uh, how I got to where I was within the classic system. So I, I took the, I'm a person who overall is kind of risk averse, but, um, when I'm doing something that I believe is, is right, um, or will help someone, I somehow get some strength and courage that, that maybe I don't have at other times. And so, um, so I took the step out of the system um, or out of the classic allergy pathway and went to a clinic to learn sublingual immunotherapy. Um, but that was still in a fairly traditional clinic other than doing um, this outside of the box um, treatment. Uh, it was still in the insurance managed system, um, mm -hmm. still all the same pressures of, you know, see more patients, see them in a shorter period of time. Um, uh, you know, trying to get things approved through insurance um, and, and doing whatever the insurance said we could do and not doing other things. And, and that was still right. really tough for me. Um, and finally, I, you know, and I had some other ideas of how, I, where I wanted to take sublingual immunotherapy. I thought there was a lot of potential there and I, I had a lot of creative ideas there as well. And, and, um, and at that clinic, you know, they, they were already outside of the box with what they were doing. And I, you know, I don't know that they wanted to change that. They had been doing okay with what they were doing. And, and, um, yeah. you know, so when I wanted to bring some new stuff to the table, you know, it maybe reached their, their limit of what they wanted to change at the time. And so 
you know, my husband and I just really thought about things and it was really tough um, because we have two young children as well. Um, mm-hmm. We were paying off yeah. student loans, um, you know, so not sitting on a nest egg of any kind. And, uh, but I was kind of miserable and I didn't know what to do. I, I just thought I can't do this for my entire career. Um, yeah. This is not what I thought being a doctor would be. Um, and, uh, and so we, we talked a lot and we tried to figure out the tough decisions. And in the end, um, we had always joked that, you know, maybe when we're like 60, you know, we would, um, open our own clinic, um, and, right. uh, get that yeah. set up and then try to retire, you know, and just help manage the clinic or something. Um, but here I found myself in my thirties, um, thinking, wow, I've, I've been in the healthcare field for about 15 years. And um, although fairly, you know, still fairly young in my long-term career, um, I had been in it well long enough to realize that I, I was burnt out. I didn't like it. Um, I, I wasn't going to sustain myself that way, and I didn't feel good about, you know, my interactions um, uh, because I felt like there was always pressure to do something that I didn't want to do. So the only way to try to um, break out of that was to try to start our own thing. <laughs> so we, um, we decided that that would be the next step, um, as scary as that has been. Um, and that's how we came to opening our own clinic in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And I, you know, this, it's fascinating, these, these decisions, because as someone, I think I'm as risk averse as you, if not more so, uh, I'm, I'm not creative enough to, to see outside the box to find entrepreneurial ways of conducting my own business. And I don't, I mean, there are anesthesiologists who've done, done things. Uh, so I have no excuse except that just my lack of creativity. And I think that one thing that people discounted or don't recognize is there, there is a lot of room for innovation within the healthcare system. Uh, within the confines of how it's structured, mm-hmm. there's not as much room for innovation and disruption. But if, if you were to unlock all these physicians to, to do things, Many of them would do things that don't work <laughs> and, and fail, mm-hmm. uh, but there are there are there's plenty of room for people to do things like you're doing with this you know this this, this certain therapy and a different way of delivering it to patients and have a different model for delivering the care and you know maybe the 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 hybrid model which is I I don't know that's probably a poor way of putting it but the the model that, where you train mm-hmm. where they accept traditional insurance and then people I imagine paid out of pocket for the the um, the sublingual therapy. Mm-hmm which is actually as a practice here in Grand Rapids, which is exactly the same. They have their sort of traditional allergy clinic, but they also do offer the sublingual. Mm-hmm. My wife's a pediatrician and says actually the sublingual is fantastic. She thinks it's great for lots of her patients yeah. that she's had gotten gotten. It's worked really well yeah. for food allergies and things. Yep. Uh, and so there's that, there's definitely a lot of, there's a lot of fear. And I mean, was the main fear for you, was it how you're going to support your family? I, because Absolutely. that seems to be a lot of the fear of a lot of people coming out of fellowship at residency. Most people, I've mentioned this a number of times show you're coming out two hundred, $250,000 a debt. Yep. Most people on average. Yep. And uh, that's not nothing. No. <laughs> you've got to pay that back. And if you suddenly go into a place where you've got to lay down some capital to open your clinic and have, it's a lot more comfortable to go into a practice where they're going to either pay your, pay your loan back or, guaranteed salaries and yeah it may not be exactly the way you want to practice be like well that's sort of the trade-off i've got to make because i've got to make sure you know my family eats and that they've you know have clothes and those sorts of things which i know people don't think that happens with physicians but you absolutely make those decisions oh yeah because you know (laughs) having zero income is really tough when you expect to pay back you know a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars a month in in student loan absolutely yes that was um that was um probably one of our two big fears. Um, and, and, you know, the, the biggest one was the financial aspect. So, you know, I was only three, four years out of my training. Um, so I, you know, I hadn't had a long time to, to pay, to, to, you know, have a typical physician salary, (laughs) you know, I just just started and, um, and when we had our children, um, we had decided we wanted, uh, one of us to be staying home with our children. And, um, mm-hmm. so my husband was a stay at home dad. Um, we had two children after my allergy fellowship, um, while I was working, um, at the other private practice. 
So, you know, we had one income, we just had my income and um, tons of student loans for myself from undergrad, um, for my husband from his undergrad, um, from my medical school. Um, and of course, yeah. all the interest that had racked up while during yep. residency and fellowship where you don't get paid enough to pay your student loans, um, pay back on your student loans. And so you just have, they let you kind of defer those payments, but you still rack up interest. So you actually, your loans grow during that time. And um, so, yeah, we had a, a lot of loans. We still do. Um, we, before we had decided to open our own clinic, um, you know, before that was when I was kind of fresh out, starting my new job, you know, um, one of our goals, we were like, we're not going to change our lifestyle at all. We're going to live very kind of um, meagerly and, and just like yep. we were before. Um, and we're going to save um, and try to pay down things. And so that's what we were doing. Um, then, of course, we had children and uh, they were expensive at the hospital. <laughs> And uh, uh, they yep. were expensive outside of the hospital. Um, our first uh, house was a little rental house um, that was overrun by mice. And that was fine for my husband and I um, to save money. And uh, um, but then when we had children, we, you know, we needed a, a place that was safer <laughs> for them. Um, and that brought a little bit of extra expense. Um, and uh, so we, you know, there's there's a lot of. Um, expenses for a, a young doctor just starting out to cover and then someone who starts their family and um, certainly was not the time that we had ever envisioned opening our own clinic um, because of the risk that comes right. with that and um, certainly the financial risk that comes with that you know we didn't have a huge nest egg of money that we could invest into a clinic um, we didn't we also didn't have the um, the ability to you know, take on a huge financial risk, although I guess we sort of did. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it was not necessarily the most comforting thought to say, hey, let's let's do something that will not give us stable income and or will not give us any income for quite a while. Um, and it's an it's a big unknown. So um, I suppose that's somewhat of a testament of how um how miserable I was and how miserable I think a lot of physicians are in the classic system that we somehow, you know, even logically weighing out all of these pros and cons and, and not being big risk takers ourselves in general, um, somehow still came to the conclusion that, uh, that this was a good idea <laughs> or, it was, yeah, right. you know, worth trying. Um, because when you when you really look at it, and we actually we actually just thought this through again um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had our one year anniversary for our clinic, and uh, we were, you know, excited about that, and we were reminiscing a little bit um, about the past year, and thinking through how we started everything, and and this topic came up. We were talking about it, and we went through our thought process before, and how everything started, and and we were like, hmm we must have been in a different frame of mind then and had some sort of like <laughs> adrenaline or extra bravery or courage, like soup or something that we had eaten because this seems like this was like, you know, maybe not the smartest idea <laughs> um, when we have two young children and no money um, to venture into moving across the country and opening our own clinic that does something very different that we had to then explain to everybody. And, um, so, uh, and one, one piece of advice I would give anybody, um, who, who is thinking about this, um, that we didn't know <laughs> that I wish I had known was, um, so I had just had my second child, um, went back from attorney leave and was finishing out my last, um, four or five months at the clinic, um, after I'd given my notice and, uh, um, it was busy. You know, I had two young children. I was, I was trying to fit mm -hmm. in a bunch of patients um, to they, they wanted to see me before I left. And so I was trying to do a lot of things and get everything teed up for them. Um, so that transition of care would be good. Um, and so I was working really hard and I knew that I would need my medical license in the new state, oh, you know, yeah. and it takes a while. So I, I applied for that um, ahead of time. And, but, you know, I was kind of like everything else we'll do after we move, you know, um, because I wanted to, to get to know some of the banks in the area to, to look into loans and, and I didn't know the paperwork I'd need for 
you know, the, the state paperwork I'd need to set up a business. And so there's a lot more I had to learn. Um, and all of it seemed like stuff that was okay to push off until we were done, except for getting my yeah. medical license. So, um, so I was working really hard and doing all, all this stuff. And I, I did not at all realize that it would be almost impossible, if not impossible, to get a loan, like a startup business loan, after my employment is complete, like after uh, I yes. have left. And so, right. um, because one of the things they wanted was, hey, what's your current salary? Right. They zero. They don't like the Give answer me money. zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was that was eye-opening because we didn't have um, a loan in place before I left. We just hadn't, we hadn't thought to do that. And um, since my husband and I were doing this together, so we, we, one of the other things was we wanted, um, when we thought about our life, we realized how much we missed, you know, seeing each other. We were, we were apart our whole day um, and then we have children and, you know, so it was just busy. And so um, we decided to open this clinic together and work together. And um, so there was going to be, you know, no outside income. A lot of people, I think, who open their own clinic, they have a spouse mm -hmm. um, that has an income source um, and or they're moonlighting. Uh, but we had so much to do that I couldn't really um, have a moonlighting position or it just wasn't, I, I was, and I, I tried to ask with right. part-time allergy positions when we moved and nobody was really interested in hiring for that. Um, and then because I wanted to be direct care and be out of the system, I had to opt out of Medicare and things like that. And once you do that, it's really hard to get um, hired uh, anywhere uh, because they want you to be in the insurance system. If you're choosing mm -hmm. not to be, then it's hard for them to hire you. So um, I couldn't really get uh, a moonlighting position. And then my husband was going to be working with me in the clinic. And we had not applied for a loan <laughs> while I had employment. So that was a huge thing. So anybody, if anybody's listening to this and is thinking about doing it, um, um, I, that's one thing I would definitely say to apply for your business loan while you're still employed, <laughs> It'll be a lot yeah. easier. You'll be able to get probably whatever you need. Um, uh, and you won't have to do what we did, which was then self fund our clinic, um, startup expenses from our own pocket, which we had just tried to save up to, to live off of. Right. Right. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, this brings us to, I guess, some of the present. You have a clinic now that is, you've just got, you described sort of why you left the system. You left the system. You didn't like the third-party system. It's sort of algorithmic. The, your, what you do, your treatment regimen is dictated by outside sources. Mm -hmm. And so you wanted to just break free of that. And you open your own clinic where you are direct pay. And so I talk a number of people about direct primary care, which is, where you have a monthly fee, there's no third-party administrator in between, there's no middlemen, really. It's just the financial relationships between the, fa the patient and the physician. Yep. And I don't, I don't, I hate saying it's an honest transaction, but it, it feels more honest in that yeah. everyone sort of has upfront about the costs and sort of what's what the treatment is. And so you have more understanding of what's going on, I think, and, and you have a vested interest in knowing why you're doing certain things because... You're paying out of your pocket. No one goes into a restaurant and just orders. I'll just take. I'll have some food. I mean, they're always you know, t they're making it some sort of educated decision about what they're going to eat. Correct. Right. And so that process has to happen. You know, with the, the physician in, in your practice. Yep. Why don't you describe? You're now year in, so clearly you're not destitute. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully. Are you, are you are you doing as well as you were when you were employed financially? Right now, um, no. Nope. Um, okay. we're, we're a year in, um, and we are start, we probably, okay. So let's see when we, we invested our own money, um, into start our startup expenses since we couldn't get a loan. Sure, um, yeah. and I think that was somewhere around 30 to $40,000. Um, we wound up having to put in, um, a lot of that, you know, that can vary so much for different clinics. I've definitely heard of direct oh, primary sure. care clinics being able to start up less than that. Um, a lot of, and then some other clinics, you know, they do a full build out for their place and it costs a lot more. Um, we, with allergy, if there's a, a direct care or if there's an allergist who's thinking about this, one of the biggest costs, um, expenses is the allergy serum. It's the antigen, of course, yeah. um, which is a lot more expensive than I ever knew. You know, when you're employed, <laughs> nobody, you don't get to see that side of the, 
you know, right, you're not part right. of the purchasing of things when you're, um, you're just, you're prescribing the allergy shots, but you don't know actually how much that serum costs um, and it's expensive. Um, so, uh, so that was eye opening because we, <laughs> we went into things thinking, okay, well, we kind of made some guesses at what prices we wanted to charge and we wanted to make this super affordable for everybody, you know, and, um, and then when we, they don't make it easy to find the prices. That's another thing I learned as a physician. Um, some of the medical supply places um, and pharmaceutical mm-hmm. companies, it's not like they just lay their prices out there. It's the same problem, you know, that patients face in the system is yeah, you right. don't know what you, you have to like go through all these hoops and sometimes spend a lot of time and invest a lot of time to later find out a price and then not be happy about it. Um, so, so yeah, so it, we just found out that was um, quite expensive. And so that was a, a large part of our initial expense. Um, we chose to, you know, of course, everybody wants the big flashy clinic um, um, up front. And, and sometimes that lends a bit of credibility, I think, to a clinic, or at least in mm-hmm. some patients' eyes, you know, you see the, the, the big space with a bunch of staff and, and you feel like um, it's got to be a good place and they know what they're doing. Um, that's really hard, I think, to achieve when you're right away and um unless you have a lot of funding and sometimes if you start out the gate with a big staff um who's all everybody's brand new and the whole thing's brand new to everybody um it can get really from what i've heard from other other folks who have started this way um and from patients that have gone to clinics like that um it's just it can get very disorganized because everybody's learning at the same time and nobody knows what they're doing and so um so we chose to start small. We said, you know what? We're going to build this brick by brick, very organically. Um, we did not know how that was going to go. Um, we uh, we just said, you know, a large part of what we think is missing is the relationships between um, patients and, and physicians and staff. And um, and when when that relationship door is kind of opened and you get to know one another, um, people, I don't, I don't think people care about the big flashy clinic. They care about you and the care you're providing and if they trust you and those sorts of things. And, sure. and it's hard yeah. to, um, you know, before anybody knows you, <laughs> it's hard to get people to necessarily know that they can trust you. Um, but we hoped that somehow we could just start getting to know people and, and then, you know, bit by bit we would that door would open. And so we started by subletting, um, subleasing from somebody else. So we just had a room mm-hmm. in a clinic from another new doctor who um, had a you know bigger space but wasn't going to use all of it. Um, and we did that for about <clears throat> five, six months. And they were growing and we were growing, which was super cool. Um, and so uh, we were growing by word of mouth. So we haven't really advertised at all. It's been all word of mouth which um, yeah. I think is great and means a lot. Um, Absolutely. And then, so then we um, looked for our own place um, and, and now we have kind of a 800 square foot um, small clinic space. Um, it's big enough for what we need now, um, but as we're growing, I think we'll, we'll need to expand a little bit, but um, we'll have this space for at least two years and um, it's all ours, which is cool and uh, has three rooms and a bathroom and a, and a little extra workroom, kitchenette sort of place. Um, so that has been nice. Um, and uh, financially, I think we broke even at about six months. Um, That's great. So we lived off of our own savings exclusively um, for mm-hmm. a little over a year. Um, and then we had also invested some of that into the, the clinic. Um, and yeah, at right. six months, we had made enough to, um, to uh, cover the work expenses we had had for those six months. And then after another few months, um, we were able to start paying back our initial investment in ourselves. <laughs> um, so still, yeah. still no we income, the savings. but we were getting at least that chunk of, of money that we had invested back. Um, so we were able to start living off of that because <laughs> our savings had been rapidly depleted. Um, and then um, the last kind of four or five months, we've been able to start taking, um, uh, you know, an income, a salary from our earnings. Um, and it's just kind of growing little, little by little it's growing. And so 
our hope is that next year, at, well, it's our hope and it's our necessity um, because if it doesn't happen, we don't have any more money. Um, our, our hope and necessity for next year is that we're fully living off of um, the revenue that we generate uh, through our clinic. So we're covering our business expenses and our personal expenses for year two, I hope. And then uh -huh. uh, year three is when I hope we then, you know, hopefully can branch more into maybe living a little more comfortably um, and uh, having more money to kind of start putting back into investing for retirement and all of those other things that are smart to do and that you need to do, um, but that you cut out when you, you know, are just trying to get money to feed your children. <laughs> so sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. Right. So, yeah, so we're not, we're nowhere near, you know, um, making what an allergist um, would make in the traditional system after just a year in, but um, we didn't expect to be. Um, I think it would have been naive to expect to be, so we knew we had to prepare for that, um, mm -hmm. but we've been steadily growing and we're sort of on track with what our projections were. And if we keep going this way, you know, we, you know, yeah, we had to take a, a two, three year sacrifice, um, pretty big financial sacrifice for it, but we should be able to get to the point where we're back at a, hopefully a comfortable place, um, but now doing work in a way that we love instead of doing work in a way that we, you know, were miserable at before. Right. So. Well, because, because now you're, you're eating, you've got clothes on, yeah. clothes on your back, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got a, you've got a roof over your head. Yeah. You've got obviously like a cell phone, so you're not you're not destitute. Yeah, although we didn't let, practicing... we let our iPhone go, we couldn't do it. It was we were like a thousand dollars for phone. We we're like, nope, yeah, right. We can't do that. But yes, we're we're very blessed. I mean, we we um, it's it's hard. Um, it's certainly hard to do. Um, I wouldn't. I don't want anybody to you know who's thinking about it to have any misconceptions about that. Um, you have to be sure. prepared to to make some tough choices. Um. I did. I broke down kind of in tears a little bit one day. I remember at the store when um, I was making choices for food for our kids. Um, and I found myself making choices that I didn't want to be. That I that I was like, you know, I shouldn't be making this choice at this point. Like I'm a physician. Yeah. I have worked so hard right. to have a, a career path that um, that hopefully you know contributes to society and also that you know, all the hard work I've put in should give me a stable income to take care of my family. Um, and I was like, why do I find myself here making some really tough choices between like quality of food where I want to be getting a certain quality of food for my family. And here I've done all this hard work to hopefully be able to do that. And yet I'm, I'm not feeling comfortable just being able to do that. I'm right. thinking, oh my gosh, I don't think I have the funds to do this. How can I stretch this out or what can I, you know, and making those choices yeah, that, that sure. I did before for myself, um, you know, when I had no money. Um, but it's totally different than thinking of your children. And it, it, of course, you know, makes you think of all the people who are struggling with that every day. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was, it's, you know, it, it hurt my heart a bit <laughs> and made me question, you know, oh, should we have done this right now? But um, but we're trying to build our whole life towards a, a better quality of life for our family. You know, we don't want to be at the office all the time and be coming home miserable. Um, you know, that takes a toll if you're coming home stressed every day. And if you're, I was charting all evening and I was, you yeah. know, oh. so I don't want. There's that. value in that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it is tough and people need to know that, but, um, we're also, we're blessed. And I think a lot of physicians are, um, you know, have worked hard and that has helped helps put them in a blessed position as well. You know, they've done the steps to get themselves in a spot where it's really, it's tough. You have all these loans, you have all these other um, requirements, but if, if you really want it and you want to try to break out of the system that's making you miserable, you, you do have to make some more tough choices and you have to save up some stuff and, and back off of, on some, you know, conveniences and niceties that maybe you, you were finally building towards that you felt like you finally deserved after all of this, mm -hmm. you know? And you might have yeah. to take a step back, um, but you're thankfully in a position probably that you can can try to do so, um, like we were to save up, you know, a bunch of of um, funds to be able to say, hey, we can live off of this for a year. We can't live, you know, the high life for a year, but we can we can survive off of this for a year and try to start this new clinic to do things better. Well, and you've created if you created something too, which is special. You yeah. know that not many people get to get to say they they're able to do that, and just to set a situation for your work where 
you're working the way you want to and with who, with who you want to, right. <laughs> you yeah. know, not many people can say that and, uh, can, can pull it off. So it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I know it's, for me, it's easy <laughs> seeing where I am and just saying, oh yeah, you're doing great. You know, you're <laughs> like, well, I'm, you know, just getting by, but, uh, what you're, what you're doing is, is pretty remarkable. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sure you feel that way now looking at it a lot more than you did probably six months ago when you guys were just breaking even wondering if this thing is going to actually ever work yes and so we pretty um, much it was a it was a every day was a swing of emotions it was you know we'd see a patient um and it would go really well they'd be so grateful and um we'd have figured out some stuff that for them that we couldn't have done or couldn't have set up for them before and 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 we'd be on this high of like wow we're doing we're doing the right stuff this is great we're finally doing it the right way and then you know we'd get a bill that evening or something right. and yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. we'd look at our bank account and then we'd like freak out because we were like oh no like we what are we doing like we can't do this and so it was highs and lows and there were lots of tears um and lots of leaning on each other you know one of us would break down and the other person would be strong and and um yep and um but you know those start they start evening out over time um to more of a um the lows aren't as bad um and the highs, you know, really give you in beneath your wings to like know that you're on the right path and and to keep going. Um, and so, you know, yeah, we're we're a year in now, and it's a totally different place than a year ago. And I, you know, I hope, and I've heard from other people that have done similar types of journeys. Um, you know, a year from now, we'll feel totally different than right now. <laughs> and, yeah, for um, sure. So, but right now we get to, you know, I spend two to three hours with a new patient. And now I can't even remember, like, I can't even fathom how I didn't before. Um, oh, I bet. You yeah. know, um, I'm like, how did I do this in when I was double, triple booked? And <laughs> I, you know, um, because my employer would be like, well, if somebody doesn't show, we need, we need the spot filled. Um, right, right, right. You know, right. and I get it from their perspective, too, because they're like, if we don't have the spots filled and then we're fighting with insurance companies for reimbursements because they don't want to give the reimbursements, you know, and we have all these open spots because somebody didn't show like then we like you know then they're losing revenue that they need to run the yeah. clinic and so i mean i understood but it still didn't it just didn't work for me because i was like well you know you already gave me too short of a time and now i have two or three people that i'm supposed to squeeze in because everybody showed <laughs> so what am yeah, I right exactly um and now you know i spend two hours with somebody easily um but i get to know them they get to know me um they have questions i get to give them answers we get to just really get to know each other. If they have um, a lot of, I see a lot of children and I see both kids and adults, but um, certainly a lot of children right now. And, um, you know, I spend half of the visit sitting on the ground playing with them while I'm talking to the parents, you know, but the kids then get to know me too in a, in a more personal way. And then when they come back for their second visit, or if I have to do skin testing on them or something like that, um, because I, right now it's just me. So I do all of it. So I don't have right, staff yeah, yeah. doing skin testing. Um, you know, the kids, they run in and give me a hug. You know, they're not scared of me. I'm not the scary doctor um, that might, and, and even though I do sometimes have to poke and prod at them to get information, um, you know, they 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 know me and they trust me um, and I spend time with them. And I think that's, that's so huge and so um, underappreciated by um, the, the employment kind of system and what has become of healthcare is that, you know, health, people's health is a big, it's a big deal to all of our health is, you know, our health is our life. And, mm-hmm. and if we're going to trust somebody to give us advice on it or to try to help us through it, um, like we do when we're a patient um, and we're seeking care from a doctor, you know, we, we, all of us, I think, want to feel like we know that person too. And we understand them as a person and that we feel like we can trust where they're coming from with their advice. Um and so one of, that's one of the great things that I get to do now is I, I feel like I do that. I know all my patients' names. I know all their parents' names or vice versa. I know the kids' names of the, of the parent if I'm seeing them. Um, I usually know their pets' names, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. And it's just so it's so much different and so much better. And so I think, you know, so your clinic, you have everything transparently priced. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when, when I started this talking to people who are drug primary care, I would tell people about direct primary care and how they're, you know, people they're working with out, outside the third party payer system. And then I always inevitably get the the next question I get from, you know, I'm talking to people in the OR or 
just friends or whatever, they're like, well, well, is that something that can translate to people who are outside of primary care? Because episodic care or, you know, if you're someone who has a heart attack, you're obviously not going to have a longstanding right. relationship with a cardiologist, maybe afterwards, but certainly not before. Right. And so... And so I always get the question: Is this is this a, a is this a model that would work? Meaning, basically, do you have to have a healthcare system that is where the primary source of uh, of care is through a third party payer? Do we have to have insurance based system for the majority of care? And then, even if you say, "Well, primary care, you don't," they'll say, "Well, that's fine." But you know, there's all kinds of other stuff people see people for. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to have that? And now talking to you, I've talked to cardiologists, I've talked to a rheumatologist. I mean, I get the impression that probably this, because it's so expensive now with healthcare, mm-hmm. that this is becoming a more feasible and more um, one that patients are also willing to think outside the box as far as seeking care right. through you know non traditional manner. I suppose. I mean, do you feel like do you feel like we're kind of nearing a tipping point where people are going to start looking for this sort of thing and they're going to start providing that practice opp- the opportunity? I do. Um, I, it's tough. I, I don't blame any physician. I, I think a lot of physicians want to do this, um, but I don't blame anybody for for feeling like, oh, well, I can't. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to take that on um, because right. it's tough. But um, I do, and and it's tough. I think for patients as well. Um, you know, we we all get into um, kind of certain habits and mindset, and, and society kind of pushes us all certain directions. And right now it's, even though insurance coverage has gotten just overall, you know, so terrible, um, we all are sort of programmed from the last several decades that you, we need insurance, um, which, you know, in in concept, in theory, insurance is a great thing. Of course, there's some big bad things that can happen and that none of us could afford to pay for if we didn't, you know, kind of pool resources collectively, which is theoretically what insurance mm-hmm. is supposed to be, um, to cover yeah, right. those big things. But that's that's sort of not what insurance has become. It's been more, you know, they take people's money and then don't give it all back into the pool. Um, um, and so uh, it's, um, but we're all programmed to think, you know, gosh, we're paying so much for our insurance premiums and we're paying into this that system so much that we have to, to try to use it, even though we're, we're feeling like we don't actually get to use it a lot. So, you know, we have to see an in-network doctor um, and we have to, um, you know, follow the, whatever rules the insurance company sets up for medications or only get whatever they'll cover. Um, when in reality, we don't, um, every person has the right to choose their physician um, and health insurance should not be synonymous with health care, although I feel like, right. it, you know, it sort of has become that way. Even in my own mind, it's, you know, we have insurance and mm-hmm. first thought yep. is always, well, where, you know, um, who would we go to that this would cover because we're paying, <laughs> Who's in network? We're paying yeah. so much money for this insurance. At the same time, our deductible is $13,500. So um, for pretty much anything uh, other than something catastrophic happening, you know, we're paying out of pocket. Um, to whatever, for whatever appointment we have anyway, um, for a long time. And so, for example, I had an appointment for five minutes. It was, a, it was like a medication refill sort of appointment. Um, and uh, it, I spent literally five minutes at most, that might be generous, um, with a physician um, who just needed to ask me a couple questions. I mean, it was a very simple thing, um, asked me a couple questions and then send my refill um, and, you know, got didn't know how much that was going to cost, right? It's not transparent. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, waited, waited, got the um, EOB um, uh, that told me what to expect for my billing. And I was, it was all, it was like $295 <laughs> for, for three minutes, maybe with that position. Yeah. Right. And I was like, you know, for that, for that price, you get an hour with me you know, um, directly with me, like me sitting there with you digging in on all the issues, um, in direct care, um, as a specialist. So the qual, I think, um, I think there's going to be a a bigger and bigger place for this model because, um, both for physicians, you know, feeling stifled by the system and wanting to, to get out of it, to, to do healthcare the way they wanted to in the first place. Um, and for patients, you know, just being like, well, I'm paying all this money anyway, and I'm not getting the quality of care that I want. Um, I could pay, I could get a lot more value for this money 
in a direct care system. I could get to know my doctor, um, whether it's primary care or a specialist, if I if I have an issue that needs a specialist. Um, and I'm going to have probably, you know, hopefully a, a more direct route to that physician. Um, I don't have to jump through all these hoops and leave all these messages and never get a call back, you know, sort of a thing. Um, I actually mm-hmm. can call these smaller direct care clinics and, and usually I'll get to talk to my doctor or they'll call me back later. Um, or if there's a staff member that talks to me, it's someone who's basically the doctor's, you know, right-hand man or woman and they're like connected at the hip and so there'll be good communication. Um, and, uh, and you just get more value for the money that you spend in the direct care system, I think. So, yeah, I think there's no question. So I think, I think there'll be a, a balance that'll be struck with it. And, um, and I think there'll be more and more direct care that people will be able to seek if they want it. Yeah. I think, I think as people are now are paying more and the deductibles are paying more out of pocket, either through HSAs or just even the deductibles of, like you said, $14,000 or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Um, that's crazy. You, I mean, you're, yeah, well, you're essentially, you're, you're paying catastrophic care right. at this point, right? Yep. And so, and, and you're paying a tremendous premium for that. And, and I, and I think people are going to be, once they understand that there's a direct primary care, for instance, I mean, I have insurance, but I see direct primary care doc, mm-hmm. partly because I think it's better care, mm-hmm. but also because frankly, I mean, my copay is what, maybe 50 bucks. I, it's the same. I pay $50 a month mm-hmm. <laughs> for direct primary care. So there's there's no reason not to. Right. I mean, I don't get sick very often. Never see the doctor. I'm bad that way. But like most doctors, right? <laughs> yeah. But um, but I think I think it, as you mentioned that physicians are in favor of this sort of model. If if it, they could see that it would work, that there's a that there's less risk to going into it. Mm-hmm. That once patients are demanding it, once the demand is there, yeah. I think you'll see a flood of people who go into this sort of model. And there'll be people who are left in the traditional model who are like in hospitals, employees, and things like that. I suppose. Mm-hmm. But it'll be, I think it'll restructure healthcare. I, I think that's, you know, where we're going. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate your time today. Uh, thank you so much for the discussion. Oh, thank you for, again, thank you for yeah. inviting me. I hope this was oh. um, useful information and enjoyable. <laughs> it was enjoyable for me to yeah, talk no, to Yeah, it no. Was, it, was it was a pleasure. And if people want to find out more about Elgenuity, the links, of course, will be on the, the website, theparadox.com, which link to your website. If people want to send you a message, like if they're, if they're thinking about doing this, mm-hmm. Uh, would would you just want them to send you an email or something oh, like sure. that? Oh, sure. Yeah, I've, I've, um, that's another thing that's nice. I think about the direct care community, primary care or specialists. There, there's not as many specialists um, um, yet, but there's a few of us. Um, and uh, the community, I think, is all open to trying to help each other forge our path. So absolutely. Um, our, um, our work email is hello at allergenuityhealth.com. Um, I, I'm assuming the spelling of, of that will be kind of listed around the podcast, yeah, yeah, right? Sure, yeah, Yeah, because <laughs> I know that's probably not, um, doesn't just roll off the tongue. Um, so, uh, but yes, if anybody wants to send me an email, um, I'm always happy to either share more of our course um, or give you any advice or teach you the things that I wish I knew earlier <laughs> as we've gone right. along on our way. Um, so hopefully more people can you know, consider their options and, and, uh, build their career, um, the way they wanted to, you know, and, and, and feel like the doctor they wanted to be. Are you on Twitter or Facebook or anything else I, that people can I, find you? Um, yes, I'm on Facebook, um, both our clinic is and me personally. Um, and I, uh, I am on Twitter now. My husband, who's, you know, he's the, the <laughs> more, more business marketing kind of side of our clinic. Um, He's been bugging about me about that for a long time, and I finally caved. So he made me an account, and I think my only tweet so far has been the you know hello um, I'm on Twitter <laughs> tweet or whatever it says <laughs> at the beginning. Um, but it's there. that's not gonna get me to retweet, just so you know. What's that? I said it won't get you a lot of no, retweets, no, just so you know. No. <laughs> Although he has been getting me followers, he's been kind of going out on my account and trying Good. to get me some followers, um, uh, so that. Once I have them, he was like, now you have followers. Now you need to start tweeting. So, yes, I'm available via Twitter, and I will probably start using it a little bit more <laughs> in the future. All right. Well, thanks again so much for being on. I appreciate the time. Uh, awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what The Doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. 
and share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com. Right. So I probably should start the interview officially. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sure. Of <laughs> I just, well, it's nice I was just looking at the clock. Like, Holy cow. <clears throat> um, this is my problem. I really just enjoy talking to people about these. No, that's these great. Because they usually have interesting stories. I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably should start. Yeah. So.